Radio is either companionship or it's nothing. It's no better than the iPod. It's no better than anything. It's companionship. That's Pat O'Day, an icon of radio in Seattle and the country for that matter. If you are familiar with that name, you won't want to miss the moments I spent with Pat O'Day on this edition of Voices of Experience. The term legend is often associated with an individual who has made monumental achievements in their chosen profession or professions. Pat O'Day clearly rises to this level of recognition. He is best known as the radio host and personality on KJR AM during the 1960s. He eventually became the program director and general manager. He also served as commentator for Seafair hydroplane races between 1967 and 2012. Simply put, Pat O'Day was responsible for lifting the Seattle music scene to the national level. A plaque and a photograph of Pat O'Day was added to the permanent disc jockey exhibit at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. I sat down with Pat O'Day at the Bell Harbor International Conference Center at an event that was sponsored by Marketing Northwest. You can hear some of the chatter and laughing in the background of some of the attendees at the Marketing Northwest event out on the deck of the Bell Harbor International Center on a beautiful Pacific Northwest evening. Before I started talking about radio and his concert promotions that he did for so many years, his favorite bands, etc., he's been selling property and homes on San Juan Island for 20-plus years now. And I asked him, does he enjoy it? And how is it going? Yeah, it's competitive, though. There's about 60 agents on that little island. Young people, hungry and scrambly. <laughs> so, but I don't hunt mice, I hunt moose. I look for big ones, and they're fewer and farther between. Okay, now do you concentrate on orcas or all the islands? Just San Juan's, my. You've been doing this a long time. Tw uh, real estate? Yeah. 25 years. Wow. When we moved up there, I had to do something. You see, we moved, we, I bought a place up there in 81. And when my daughter was born in 91, uh, and my wife was tired of her law practice in Seattle, she said, let's move to the island. Great place for Chelsea to grow up. And I was doing consultancies for stations at the time. And uh, I said, how can, I can't go up there. I need to be by the airport and this and that. And, then somebody said to me, why don't you get a real estate license and do real estate up there? So I retired from my consultancies and got a real estate license and 25 years have gone by and there we are. But in the meantime, I got involved with Schick Shadle and some stuff like that. Sure. No, you've been doing a, doing a lot of different things. Was that a hard transition for you when you actually did go up to uh, the San Juans? Like, yeah. it take a year or so to yeah, adjust to the new because lifestyle? Because I was broadcasting and showbiz, you know. And, right. Uh, that was a rather quiet life up there that... Uh, I was very unaccustomed to. <laughs> well, as far as radio goes, I grew up on your radio station, KJR, in uh -huh. the 60s. And, you know, and when you had like a share of 48, 
Oh yeah. You know, and in those days that you know you see now audience shares of four and five. Well, there and was it's no great. FM to speak of. True. That. But it's still, uh, we still had about eighteen, nineteen stations here in the area. So yeah, our ratings were. You know, it's a good thing I didn't realize how powerful we were because I'd have probably blown the whole thing. But you know, in those days, you get up in the morning and say, we got a 40 share. How can we get a 42? You know, I got to do better than I'm doing. <laughs> well, that's the attitude you obviously had. Yeah. You and know, you look uh, back on it and you say, oh my God. You didn't realize what you had going in the sense, being in the middle of it, you didn't, the reach and all you had, the influence you had on Well, you understand so that the top 40 radio at the time was evolving. I got started in the 50s when, you know, people said rock and roll was evil, you know, and ministers were saying, don't listen to those stations, you know, and, and, and so we brought it forward to the point that it had acceptance, and, and then, you see, I had a different doctrine. I figured that radio had to be companionship and had to have individual personalities with the music. I figured we had to make people laugh or cry or do something, but just music in itself wasn't adequate to get the job done. So that led to being pretty persnickative in who I hired, but those guys that I hired, uh, well, this history tells itself from Larry Lujak to Lan well, Roberts. You had some real talent. Tom it, Murphy Tom to Murphy, Jim Darren, who became Jim, Jim Hilliard running uh, stations in the East. And, Mike Phillips, who was PD of the big station in Los Angeles, and uh, uh, Tom Murphy, amazing people. So what was your criteria when you hired each one of them? What, what did each one of them have in common? That Why did you well, hire them? I would, I would say, you know, make me laugh or make me cry in person when they're interviewing. Uh, I like your voice, I like what you're doing, but... but uh, we're, we're, we're in a competitive market and I want to make strides and keep going forward and I need superstars to accomplish that and uh, so tell me uh, how you're going to mesmerize our audience. <laughs> it seemed to me that you had a flair for picking the music because you've got some really off bands in other parts yeah. of the country and I find it interesting that there's some bands that really flourished up here because of you and not elsewhere. Well, how did you do it? What was your process? First of all, I had I had an ear at, and a quite a batting average to hear a hit. I looked at this thing called Wooly Bully by Sam the Sham, and I put it on the turntable and we listened to it. I said, that's a hit. And I called the station in Seattle. Of course, it went on the air. And, but uh, I think mainly because my background was involved a lot of church. My father was a minister. I became very accustomed to songs that have endured over hundreds of years. And I think there are certain chords, certain feelings, certain emotions that will bring about a hit and some records won't have it. Now that's kind of a complex description, but right, no, no. I've never really been asked that question before. Uh-huh. And uh, and then also we used to uh, uh, run what we called the Battle of the New Sounds from six till seven o'clock, and 
and the listeners would respond and so on. And that was a help. But on top of that, we had the courage to put a record, new record on. You know, to hell with all the research and everything. You listen to it, you say, that thing sounds like a hit. Let's let the listeners decide whether it's good or not and not just wait to see what the sales were in Boston or somewhere else. Right, or change his focus group and all of a sudden, smooth jazz is gone because New York dropped it. Okay, everybody rolls out and they run that way. Um, It must have been a lot of fun in the sense, a lot of pressure, but fun than running a station like that. And can you work? Could you have worked in an environment where it is now that you're just at the station and no. you get the orders and no, because there's no, so much no, creative I, I part of do that. That's no fun. Um, uh, Les Smith and Danny Gay, uh, starting in 1962, first to '62, they just plain turned the station over to me. I mean, they let me do whatever I wanted to do. You got the freedom. He said, if you ever think that something could get you in trouble, run it by me. But other than that, you go. And I did. Yes, you did. You know? And it's so great if, if, if you have creative people, you know, don't put them, say, okay, you're creative, but you go down this narrow corridor here, you know? That is how things explode uh, entertainment-wise. Well, and also the other thing I read about you and talked to you once before about it is that the people you had on the air, various DJ, right? Show prep. Uh, uh, that's then that leaves a little headroom for extra brilliance. If you go in with a show that's well done already, then you know things can explode and so on. It's, but have uh, that covered. Yeah, and, and you know that that thing of called show prep brings about some incredible moments. You take uh, uh, Lan Roberts and uh, the amazing things that he could do and that we did together, you know. Uh, we had Granny and Clyde doing the traffic copter, you know, where they run out to Boeing Field and go over the checklist and get in the copter, fly over town and do these crazy things, you know. But that wasn't ad lib. Those were planned. We'd sit down and write that stuff and uh, and say, okay, this is too dumb, we're not going to do that, and so on. Back with my interview with Pat O'Day in just a moment. This interview took place on May 23rd, 2018 at Seattle's Bell Harbor. You're listening to Voices of Experience, your source for thoughtful content. If you would like to contact the host, Paul Casey, you can email him at paul at caseycommunications.net or call 206-459-5536. That's paul at c-a-s-e-y communications.net or call 206-459-5536. Everybody's kind of spelling a doom and gloom of radio. They're, oh, it's gone. But when you look back in radio after the series were on radio, went to television, they said, oh, radio's done. And then, because TV's in. And then the cars came out, and then radio, and then people like you innovated music on it, and it came back. The key that I think what you did, and can occur or not, they have to have local broadcasting. Oh, absolutely. People in the booth, you cannot do it any other way. Right. I, and number two, you got to give them freedom, or at least the station freedom. You cannot sit in Chicago and orchestrate how a station in Seattle should sound. 
I'm sorry that dog don't hunt. Radio is either companionship or it's nothing. It's no better than the iPod, it's no better than anything. It's companionship. AM is proving that radio can still be great because AM is featuring people, talk radio, companionship. But the FM stations are are losing their revenue because their advertising isn't as effective as it once was because the spoken word is is minimized. The spoken word is is other than maybe morning drive, the spoken word dimini- is diminished. It's not important. They won't let the people say anything. So as a result, the commercials don't have the impact on a station where people listen to the spoken word for entertainment, enjoying companionship. I could take a Seattle station right now. Now this sounds very braggadocious. Okay? Well, you're you're, could, you're owed that, okay? I could <laughs> seriously. I could take a Seattle station right now, working on a library of about fifteen hundred titles, all great hits, going all the way back to the mid fifties or the late fifties. Add personalities to it, and and just tear it up rating wise, because uh, uh, pe- people people don't have these narrow music tastes that the stations in. They get caught in these little slots and uh, a little niche. And they're so proud of their three share. You know, my God, how disgusting! <laughs> Can you imagine when you're going to what is it, Les Smith? Oh, we got a three share in Seattle. <laughs> You know, it'd be, be a tough meeting. But uh, yeah, but but it's silly because uh, I, I think I think an eight or a nine or even a ten share is is totally possible. Is doable. Totally, because the people are there and the people haven't changed. Radio changed. If I had that radio station, you understand? I could tell this to the programmers in Chicago, and they would say, "Well, wait, you know." Uh, uh, we we do it uh, high test music and blah 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 and so on, and the sequences, the way they play music, is so destructive because because the human being cannot tolerate sudden mood changes, and they will go from a very soft love song to a, a raucous rock and roll record, uh, or vice versa. And and the human, the emotions don't adjust that quickly. We as humans, you can, you can have the funniest joke in the world, but if you tell that joke on the steps going up to a funeral, the people will think you're sick. Yeah, you can tell them after the funeral at the right. bar. You're on time. You can tell the joke. It's in the context. And laugh, right? right. Because yeah. we don't adjust emotions that quickly. Okay, how does that relate to radio? I always said, called it a cyclical emotion music programming. First of all, each set should be of one genre. You shouldn't be playing a country record with a with a rap type record or a, a blues record. Country music's country music, and you should have that of that. All three songs in the sweep should be of that genre. But secondly. You want enthusiasm when the set is over with, but if you're coming off with a slow, moody song, the jock sounds terrible if he's all high-pitched or 
loud commercial. So what you do is you start each music set with your slowest, which is your down mood. Then you go to your mid-tempo, and then you end with the euphoric, or the up-tempo, exciting, fun song. Then you can go into your talk set with enthusiasm and so on and so forth. Uh, I call it cyclical mood programming. Keeping the genres right, but keeping the music in a sweep like that. You do that, you know, but nobody does that. They don't even understand that. You know, we like to run our high test songs every third song in the sweep. What in the hell has that got to do with anything? You know? Can you imagine if you had an art gallery and you put a Warhol next to a Mona Lisa? You disgraced both of them. But we do that with music. Interesting, because we don't appreciate the ear as much. Right. We, we see pollution, but we don't see right. uh, we hearing pollution. We take songs don't match at all and play them side by side. Now, if we played them with their own genre and at the right time, it would be enjoyed. Sorry, but because of time limitations, this interview must come to an end for today. I will be playing more of my interview with Pat O'Day in the weeks to come. There was absolutely no way that you can begin to scratch the surface of what Pat O'Day has experienced during his lifetime. Didn't have time to really delve into his experience with Concerts West as owner and some of the pitfalls of that are owning a company that promoted concerts during the 1960s and 70s. There was a gag that was played on Pat O'Day that was absolutely brilliant by Rob Weller, the Yell King at the University of Washington, and then became a TV personality later. Paul McCartney and the Beatles came to town for the second time in 1966, and Rob Weller and his companions again launched one of the greatest practical jokes of all time. There was the KJR News Tip of the Week that led to a pretty catastrophic event at Newport High School. Now, what else? Uh, You could write a book on this. Ah, good news. There is a book, and it was written by Pat O'Day himself, And it's called, It Was All Just Rock and Roll. Some of the stories we touched on and many more are in this book. I actually found myself laughing out loud on several occasions reading this book. If you grew up here in the 1960s and you remember KJR as being the dominant radio station in Seattle, you must read this book. Finally, I'll leave you with this. It's called The Spanish Castle. It was a teen nightclub, which Pat O'Day, of course, started. And in 1961, a young skinny kid by the name of Jimi Hendrix came up to Pat O'Day and asked for advice. Seven years later, while in Texas, Pat was at a concert that he was putting on, and Jimi Hendrix walked up to Pat and said, Can you believe this is happening? My answer to that is absolutely yes. If you were fortunate enough to get some of Pat's mojo, you can believe anything is possible.